I'm Kerry Newhoff, and this is the Creative Sheep Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Creative Sheep Podcast, the podcast where we talk to people who are good at what they do to inspire leaders like yourself to get better. My name's Jared Hogan. I'm going to be your host today. I'm joined with none other than my good friend, Roman Johnson. Hello, party people. How's it going? Uh, it's great to be here. It's beautiful fall weather outside. Gorgeous. So my, I am in high spirits today. <laughs> hey, I just want to remind everyone that this, this podcast is brought to you by creativesheep.org. It is, uh, that's a web, website on the World Wide Web. It is our website. So in case you stumbled across this podcast and you're like, what is Creative Sheep? We create premium media for the church. So that's graphics, video. Uh, we've got a su- super cool thing called Series Packs. But uh, more specifically, right now, it's fall. It's about to be Thanksgiving. And hello, Christmas. I love Christmas. Jared, I know you're a big fan of Christmas. Huge. And so we have a ton of videos on there that are uh, themed around the idea of Christmas and Jesus and all the things that go along with Christmas uh, that you can get on our website, download those videos, and play in your church. That's right, folks. And, you know, we, we love having these incredible guests here on the show every week. Every other week, rather. Uh, we've had some amazing folks on the show. Uh, if you've not checked out our archive, make sure to go do that. Hit subscribe there on iTunes. We're also on Stitcher. Um, and, uh, you know, check it out. We've got uh, some incredible interviews with uh, Whitney George from Church on the Move. Yes. Uh, Pastor Tom Mullins from Christ Fellowship Church in Florida. Uh, we have interviewed Michael E. Gerber, the author of E-Myth. Uh, Pastor Shannon O'Dell, Lee Cockrell. We've just had some incredible, incredible interviews on the show. Um, and today is is uh, nothing short of that, um, which we'll get to here in just a second. I want to let you know, next uh, episode, which is coming out here in just a couple of weeks, uh, at the beginning of November, uh, we're going to be talking with Jason Laird, the Executive Director of Student Ministries at Gateway Church in uh, Texas, and an amazing conversation about how they do what they do, how they view youth ministry. It's going to be a really good talk. But today, I had the honor of interviewing Carrie Newhoff. If you don't know who Carrie is, I don't know what you're doing with your life. Get outside. <laughs> but man, Carrie is just, he's a machine when it comes to leadership. He's the lead pastor of Conexus Church up uh, north of Toronto in Canada. Uh, he, he oversees the Carrie Newhoff blog, kerrynewhoff.com. Uh, and he's got the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, which if you're not listening to that, I would encourage you to go listen to it. He's just got some incredible content on there. Man, I just I can't speak highly enough about him. His church is actually a strategic partner, Roman, with North Point Church, Andy Stanley's church. Oh no way! That's yeah. awesome. Hey, yeah. I, I'm excited about this episode because it is our our first international uh, interview. That's true. <laughs> we're, we're going up into Canada. I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a true. milestone for a Creative Sheet podcast. Yeah, I've been following Kerry for some time. Uh, saw him at the Orange Conference earlier this year. Um, and have just been enamored with this guy. He is—he's uh, a machine. He's very transparent, very open. And today we had the pl- pleasure—not the privilege—that's that's not even a word. <laughs> we had the privilege of talking with uh, Carrie about uh, leading high-capacity people, and he actually is going to talk to us about seven things in leading high-capacity volunteers. Uh, Roman, without further ado, let's just get into it. Let's get to the interview. 
Well, hey, let's let's actually get to uh, the topic of the conversation today, yes. which is uh, we had a topic. Yeah, right. Uh, which is uh, leading high capacity volunteers. Um, which this is actually mm-hmm. part of. This is one of the topics you address in your upcoming book, uh, "Lasting Impact," uh, which is coming out. Is that October sixth? So by the time this podcast it is, it's actually coming launches, out October sixth. So I don't know when this will be broadcast, but it's either just before or just after it comes out. I would guess. Yeah, I believe it's going to be just after it comes out. So, folks, if you're listening, go cool. get this book. I've already pre-ordered it. I can't wait to read it. Um, and Thank you, Jared. oh man, my pleasure. Uh, but I, I, what we're talking about today, I actually heard you. Uh, I kind of stumbled in one of your sessions at a conference earlier this year um, and hearing you talk about seven ways of leading high-capacity volunteers. And I cannot tell you how fast my fingers were typing in Evernote to, to get all of the information down as quickly as I possibly could. It was so good um, that I just I, I thought it was very poignant to share this with our audience today. Um, so we're going to walk through these seven points and just kind of discuss this. So uh, let's just jump right in here. The first thing you talk about is giving high-capacity volunteers a significant challenge. What what does that look like? How how do you, what is a significant challenge for high capacity volunteers? Because you kind of have to play the. I want to be respectful of your time because you're not on staff here, but at the same time, I want to give you something that's worth your time. So, what what does that look like to you to give someone a significant challenge? Yeah, I so appreciate the way you framed that, Jared. I think the problem isn't exactly what you said at the very beginning. You know, on the one hand, there's a tension, and we all face it. It's like. I forget how you said it, but it was like, hey, you know, we want to be very respectful of your time. We know you're a busy person. Um, You know, my friend Frank Beeler says it this way. Don't let me ever be the person who says no for you. You know, Mm. I need to be done saying no for people. And I think often in ministry, we're so apologetic because they're volunteers and we can't give them a paycheck. And, you know, and so so we say to our volunteers, um, you know, hey, we'll just, you know, this is once a month, it's only an hour, or hey, we're only going to pull you in every three months for, you know, a morning, and that's all we're going to do. We minimize, 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 minimize. Mm -hmm. High-capacity leaders are not attracted to that. Mm -hmm. You know, high-capacity leaders are not attracted to low commitment. They are attracted to high commitment. So let me give you an example. When uh, when we launched Connexus Church, we kind of knew that the secret sauce of small group ministry for kids and for adults is consistent leadership. Mm-hmm. And the 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 analogy that I think we can all relate to is we all know how everyone in your class behaved when you had a substitute or a spare teacher in school. Yeah. Right. Your regular teacher was gone. Substitute yeah. teacher comes in and and mayhem breaks out. But somehow, you know, and why was that? Well, because you have no relationship with the substitute teacher. You have a relationship and a respect for her, or at least, you know, she or he is in control of your class when, you're, when your regular teacher is there. But in, when the substitute teacher shows up, kids go crazy. Well, we have built an entire generation of kids' ministry and student ministry on substitute teachers. Right. Wow. The rotational model of groups ministry. Right. So right. it's basically, hey, Jared, all you have to do, you just have to serve like once every two months for an hour. Just, you know, keep the lid on these kids and then you don't have to do it again till August. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Like, okay, what kind of what kind of experience do you think that's creating for kids? Well, it's a very low commitment mm-hmm. for a volunteer. So but we knew that, but we just didn't have the courage when we launched to 
to invite you know everybody and say because you're launching a church you have no money you have no people it's right. like okay you only have to serve once a quarter well new director of kids ministry enters the scene three years ago and she just decides we can't do this any longer so we've got to transition people from serving once a month once every six weeks to serving every single week high challenge high commitment hmm. man I'll tell you, you pay a price for that because people get mad. Well, I can only do once a month or whatever. And so we lost leaders. We lost leaders. But you know what we gained? We gained highly committed people. Because when we cast a a vision for small group leadership in our family ministry, and we said to family ministry uh, small group leaders, hey, we want you to get to know these kids. We want you to pray for these kids. We want you to love these kids. We want you to hear their stories. We want you to be another voice saying the same thing a loving parent would say. And we want you to be committed to their spiritual success and their life success. Well, all of a sudden, now we've got, you know, some of the best small group leaders going. We've got highly committed people. And highly, you know, committed people tend to be high-capacity people, and high-capacity people are the people who are going to walk into big challenges, not walk away from them. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I think we just we just ask too little of our volunteers. Um, and so I think one of the best things you can do is, is cast a high vision, um, place a very high bar in leadership, and then just see who responds. Because if you've got a great ministry going on, your high-capacity people, counterintuitively, are going to be attracted to that. Mm-hmm. If you set the bar low, you'll get a lot of low-capacity people who say, oh, I'll do that. You know, low bar equals low commitment. High bar equals high commitment. Yeah. And, and excellence attracts highly committed people. So that's what we've just found. You know, you've got you to challenge them significantly. That's good. It, it, I got to admit, it's it's really freeing to hear you say that when you started the church, that it was, you phrased it as you didn't have the courage to ask for that commitment. And as mm-hmm. as a young leader, it can be intimidating because the type of people I want to attract, I want to attract high capacity people. I want to attract business owners. I want to attract CEOs to come help in our children's ministry, um, people that are going to be able to do something great with us. And, and not that CEO and business owner equates doing something great, but I think you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying. I want to attract high-capacity leaders, and I felt that. I felt the, i got to be careful what I do here. I, I, want to be, I do want to be respectful of their time, but at the same time, I realized over a short period of time that, whoa, this isn't working. <laughs> and we, we do have to cast this vision, which actually leads into our next thing here, is you talk about continually communicating your mission, your vision, and your strategy. Um, how, mm-hmm. how frequent is that? Is it daily? Is it weekly? It, what does that look like at Conexus? Yeah. Over and over and over <laughs> again. I mean, the Bible just said it, right? When you're sick and tired of saying it, you're just getting started, you know, and, and it's, it's challenging because eventually you get tired of it. You own it so much. I I always think it's like, you know, being a band that's been around forever, like the Rolling Stones or U2 or Coldplay or, you know, a band like that, not some band that's on its first year, but like Mm -hmm. somebody who's just been, you know, an icon of culture for so long. I imagine there are songs that have become hits that they just never, ever want to play again. Right. But again, if you just paid 150 bucks for a ticket and you're going to hear the Rolling Stones or U2, you better hear Satisfaction or you better hear I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. Right. You want your money back. Absolutely. Right? And they may be sick of it. That may be the song 
that they thought shouldn't even make the album that by some fluke became their biggest hit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but they got to play it. And and as a leader, you got to play this. Now, we're in a much better position because as church leaders, we believe in our mission, Mm -hmm. vision, and strategy. But you just you just assume it's the curse of knowledge, as Dan and Chip Heath have talked about. You just assume everybody knows it, and they don't. Mm-hmm. And so your job is is to communicate it. You know, when I started in leadership, Jared, I always thought that um, my challenge was to never say the same thing over again. That I had to be creative. Mm. And now, having done this for two t- decades, I realize no, my job is actually to say the same thing over and over and over again with incredible passion yeah. and exceptional clarity. Because when I do that, then all of a sudden I align, you know, in the case of our church, 2,300 people who call our church home, I align over 2,000 people around a common mission, vision, and strategy. And I think the clearer you can be on that, the better. So, you know, do you know what you're, if, if, if somebody walked randomly into your building and started interviewing people or just asking them, hey, what's the vision of this church? I mean, when you get deep into the organization, they may not be able to quote it verbatim, but they mm-hmm. better be, you know, the top 20% should be able to state it word for word, phrase for phrase. And then when you get in, like if you came to Connexus, I think most people would say, well, I'm not exactly sure what it is, you know, when you get way down in the in the ranks, but I'm pretty sure it has a lot to do with reaching unchurched people. Yeah. And that would be a win for us. And why would it be a win? Because there has not been an exception in seven years. Every single Sunday, we say our vision is to be a church that unchurched people love to attend, and our yes. mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And then we live it out. And then the other, the other challenge, the other part of that, is to be crystal clear around your strategy. My friend Reggie Joyner, who we talked about, you know, he says everybody walks into your church with a picture of their preferred church in their mind. Mm-hmm. You know, a picture of what church should be like in their mind. Your job as a leader is to align those images Mm. bang on just right and and you know when you have a big vision like you know to create a church that unchurched people love to attend i think most people could say yeah intuitively i agree like the church shouldn't just be for insiders and to lead people into a growing relationship with jesus i don't think there's a single authentic christian who can't agree with that you know you might say it a little bit differently where the, where the challenge comes in leadership is often you got to say the mission and the vision regularly, but the real challenge comes in in terms of strategy, because I may think you know church on the move your church very creative church very innovative church, um, and but I might think hey I'm going to lead people into growing relationship by expository preaching and traditional worship, mm-hmm. and you're like well yeah but that that that's not. You would, you would be tempted to say, well, that's not our mission, that's not our vision. No, we share a mission and vision. We just share a different strategy. We don't share a strategy, yeah. actually. My right. strategy is to do that very differently. So I think the clearer you can be on your strategy, um, the better it will go in terms of aligning your vision. And, and again, high-capacity leaders are attracted to clarity. And you might think clarity is initially divisive because then, you know, I send my, you know, I pack up my bags and I get going because I don't want to be a part of church on the move. But for every person you repel, you'll attract 10 who Mm -hmm. are just looking for someone to lead them, who say, who might even say, you know what, this isn't my favorite music. This isn't my favorite vibe. I think you guys have too many lights and, you know, I don't know what that little funny mic on your face is, but, but 
I'm so convicted that God is using this, and it's so clear, and it's so well-led. Mm-hmm. I'm in. And we have people who attend our church who put their preferences aside to throw their weight behind the mission wow. just because they want to be part of something that is actually reaching on church people. Very, very cool. Man, that's awesome. Uh the next thing you, you set up here, and I love this, it's be organized, and you went on to say set, mm-hmm. set your volunteers up to win. And yeah. this is so crucial in that it can be so easy to be focused on what am I preaching, what does the service look like, and some of the other things you were just describing, the lights, the, the ambiance of the room. But setting your team up to win is so crucial because of the relationships mm-hmm that they're going to build, in my context with kids and in your context, church-wide. <laughs> uh, but was there ever a time in your, in your career where you've, you realized, you know what, we're not organized, we're not setting our team up to win? Oh, yeah. Totally, totally. Um, yeah, I, I, I learned this one the hard way. I mean, we spent many years where leaders had to fend for themselves. You know, I recruit you to teach kids or to be a small group leader for kids, or mm-hmm. I, I recruit you to lead. You know, let's say you're going to be in our production department, but like nothing's plugged in or mm-hmm. this software update hasn't been done, and you go to sit at the computer you're supposed to run on Sunday morning, and it doesn't work. I mean, disorganization is demotivating. Yep. to leaders. It's just, it is. I mean, you get in there and it just doesn't work. And then you're frustrated. I mean, we, we had challenges even recently because we were a portable, double portable church for seven mm. years, six years. I know it was over seven. Yeah. And I mean, there were times where, you know, you get short staffed. And so our setup crew would be a little bit thin and all of our family ministry environment leaders would come in, but the rooms wouldn't be set up. Well, we didn't ask them to be part of the setup and teardown crew. We asked them to lead kids, but they were scrambling at the last minute to like set up play panels so the kids didn't run away or, you know, get their crafts organized because we weren't set up well enough. And we just finally called an audible and said, Hey, this cannot go on. We gotta, we gotta fix this. And so we spent several months listening to people, identifying all the problems. I brought in two of the best leaders I know. I said, I got a special project for you. You got to get us fixed in this area. And man, we went from like six people straggling in at 6am to set up to about 20 people coming in at 545 sharp wow. in the winter in the freezing cold. And I mean, that whole environment was set up at 730. So when the volunteers walked in, it was all there. And then they, Oh, I, I can actually think about my kids. Come on. Any preacher has had that experience. If you have a bad day production wise, right? If you have a really bad day production wise, and like the lights aren't working if you're in that kind of church or the sound sound is bad or, you know, it's just a bad Sunday. I'm not thinking about my message when I get up to preach. I'm thinking about how come that light is so hot or how come <laughs> the sound is so bad. Yep. If everything's working, I'm focused on my message. I'm relaxed. I can I can do a better job as a communicator. And so I think disorganization is demotivating. And as a result, one of the best things you can do, you know, we only have 10 staff. That's all we have. And we have over 500 volunteers and 2,000 people, over 2,000 people that we serve, 1,100 people who come out on the weekend. Those 10 staff, their job, our job, is to make sure that the volunteers who come in to serve the guests and the people who arrive are are beautifully set up to win on a Sunday morning. I think mm. that's it. And that's really good. 
um, which asking people to come at 5:45 in the morning—that's that's some pretty serious commitment right there. Um, and, yep. and I heard you talk at, at the Orange Conference earlier this year, um, which is your next point here, but is refusing to let people off the hook, um, having yeah. having an, a level of accountability. And you specifically talked about one guy on your team that's pretty ruthless when it comes to this. Uh, why don't you talk about Andy. that just a little bit? Yep. <laughs> His name is Andy Harvey. He's great. He's been a friend for years, and he joined our staff just over a year ago, but you know, had spent years in corporate world. And uh, he's actually one of the guys I brought in on that project. Even before we hired him, I had him in on this. And I'm like, because, I, mean, yeah, I mean, when your alarm clock is going at 3.30 in the morning to haul trailers to a location for 5.30 in the morning in the snow, when it's minus 20 out, that's a tough sell. And, I mean, that's what we have done for years. It's not minus 20 here. You know, I'm sitting in my backyard. It's 85 degrees. People always say, minus 20, is that Fahrenheit or is that Celsius? The answer is, it really doesn't matter. Minus 20 is freezing. All right? It's just freezing. Right. And at some point, they equalize. I think it's about minus 30 Fahrenheit and Celsius line up. So, I mean, it's miserable. If you're a polar bear, it's miserable. So that's the kind of church we've done. And, like, you know, people are people. And so they were starting to straggle in at 6 o'clock or 6.15. And 10 people said they were going to be there. And six people showed up. And that makes it very demotivating for the six who are left. So I called Andy in. And it's like, you know, solve this problem please, please, I'm begging you. And he, he just set a new tone. And I wish, you know, you got to have him on your podcast because he'd tell you how to do it. But he, he just, you know, said, Hey, I need you here at 5:45 AM. And he had coffee ready for them. And, you know, cause he got up at three to do it. And, wow. and they started showing up. And then if they were late, he'd, he'd pull them aside and say, Hey, Carrie, I, uh, I was expecting, you know, the whole team was counting on you to be here at 6am. Were, were you in a traffic accident? Is everything okay? Is anybody sick? Oh no. You know, my alarm just went off. Can I buy you a new alarm? And he says the key to great management, <laughs> he says the key to great management is taking away people's excuses. And I mean, I've seen him have that conversation. So, I mean, we're a hockey country. So Canada mm-hmm. was in a gold medal game once. And there was a young guy uh, on our setup team. I think he's about 20 years old. And he's, you know, we have the gold medal game on. We're meeting in theaters. We have the gold medal game on the plasmas in the theater just for our setup team. So, you know, when they walk by, they can they can glance at it and see whether we won or not. Yeah. And so he's supposed to be hauling cases and setting up environments. And he's standing there for like four or five minutes watching the game. And he came up, put his hand on his shoulder with a smile on his face, said, it's a good game. You enjoying it? Yeah. Hey, if you would rather watch the game than help out the team, feel free to go home. You can go home. But if you're here and you're going to help the team, we need you to pull your weight. Man, that's incredible. <laughs> that is an, that is yeah. amazing. And you would think he would totally alienate people. But instead, I mean, people just love him. Hmm. And, and there's a sense in which we all want to do great work. There is an inherent respect in a job well done, mm-hmm. right? And when the team is singing and everyone's on time, it has a synergistic effect. So, I mean, definitely being organized and calling people to, to strict account uh, for their responsibility actually is not demotivating. It's motivating. Golly. Yeah, I'm going to need to get Andy's phone number from you before we get off here. Yeah, you do. I know. The whole world is going to be like, Andy, who? <laughs> <laughs> um, His name's Andy Harvey. He's a good friend. Doesn't have much of a digital footprint, but uh, 
Yeah, you know what? It just reminded me. I probably need to have Andy on my podcast and like say, okay, unpack your secret sauce. I've never met anyone like him. That's incredible. Un- unbelievable. Best, best I know at it. That's incredible. So. Uh, this next one that you threw out here, this one, this one might rub some people the wrong way. Um, because mm-hmm. in the church world, and especially here in America, we don't we don't we don't keep score in kids' games anymore. Uh, we right. we don't we don't we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Uh, everybody's everybody's on the same plane. Even if you get eighth place in the soccer tournament, you still get a trophy. Uh, and so this mm-hmm. next one, I feel like, might rub some people the wrong way. But but I, I really would encourage folks to listen to this one very carefully. You said play favorites. Yep play favorites. So you should not treat all people the same. And I know this sounds like it violates what your mother taught you, what you learned in kindergarten, the whole deal, but you just, you should, you should play favorites. And, you know, it's kind of Andy's idea of do for one, what you wish you could do for everyone, because reality is, you know, treating everyone the same does not scale. Mm. It just doesn't. Um, you know, you can do that if you're leading a church of 10 people. If you hope to lead a church of 100, if you hope to lead a church of 1,000 one day or 10,000, you can't play that game. You don't get more hours if you get more people. So you have to think about how you use your time. Now, there's another counterintuitive principle under this, and a lot of management theorists will tell you about this, but most of us gravitate toward improving our weaknesses and helping the people who need it most. So in other words, if you have 10 people on your team Let's just say two are really bad performers. Guess who's going to dominate your your calendar uh, indefinitely if you don't intentionally engage it otherwise? Mm-hmm. The poor performers are going to because, right. you know, John didn't show up or, you know, uh, Sarah missed yet another Sunday. And so what are we going to do to fix that? Well, i got to meet with John. i got to meet with Sarah. Come into my office. And then you're meeting with him again next week because guess what? She didn't show up again. And blah, 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 blah. Well, maybe you need to fire Sarah. <laughs> maybe you need <laughs> right. to fire John. Right. That's one thing. And probably all your coaching is, is, is not going to help them. Meanwhile, you've got two people at the top of your team, you know, Ryan and Jennifer, and they're knocking it out of the park, and you ignore them because you think, well, they don't need my time. Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. You know, the best management theory I know is you spend 80% of your time with your best people. Mm-hmm. Just eighty percent. So you play favorites, and you know this was a challenge for me. And again, that coach I talked about earlier, Gary, really helped me see this. I had to decide five years ago who I was going to meet with and who I wasn't going to meet with. And we talked through some of these issues, and I I just decided, like I used to meet with volunteers because everybody wants to meet with you, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, at that time, we probably had two or 300 volunteers, 400 volunteers in the church. And, you know, well, I want to meet this guy because he looks high capacity or whatever. We just decided, I'm going to meet with my elders. I'm going to meet with my staff. And now, actually, I meet with my key staff. And I may meet with intentionally or strategically, you know, with, with one or two others outside of that circle. But I meet with my direct reports. I meet with my elders. Mm-hmm. We've never been healthier as a church because if our elders are healthy, if our elders are healthy, the church is healthy. Mm -hmm. If our top staff are healthy, the whole staff is healthy. If your staff is healthy, the church is healthy. It's just the way it goes. And I only have so many slots, and I only have so much contribution I can make. So I need to be in a place where I am playing favorites and spending most of my time with my best people. 
And that sounds anti-gospel, mm-hmm. but it's not. I still have a breakfast slot for the guy who's in the ditch, for the person who's struggling. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do one or two of those a month. But if I did all of that, it would collapse at the top mm-hmm. or it would get dysfunctional at the top. So mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think that's the key. And again, it's not unbiblical because Jesus did this, because right. Moses did Exodus 18. Love that. Mm-hmm. You know, Moses is trying to lead hundreds of thousands of Israelites across the wilderness. And the verse says in Exodus 18, Moses' father-in-law comes along and says, this is not good. He says, if you keep leading this way, you will wear yourself out, and you will wear the people out, too. Mm-hmm. And it's very true. He's saying, look, you are not well served. You're going to burn out. And the people are horribly served because they have to stand in line all day. Well, they'll line up for you. He said, what you should do is appoint people, leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, and leaders of ten. You invest in the leaders of thousands. They invest in the leaders of you know hundreds. Mm-hmm. They invest in leaders of fifties, and they in turn invest in the leaders of ten. Well, that's just great. That has become, of course, classic management theory. We forget it's a biblical principle. Right. Jesus did the same thing. Mm-hmm. He actually, if you study the Gospels, he had hundreds of disciples. Nobody thinks about that, but it's actually in the Gospels. He has hundreds of disciples who he suborganizes into a group of seventy. Remember, he sent out the seventy. Then we all know the 12, but within the 12, he had three, and within the three, he had one. Mm -hmm. And he said to the one, on you, I will build my church. Yep. Like, Jesus played favorites. So I think the leadership principle is simply this. Spend your time on your highest capacity leaders, and let the low performers figure it out for themselves. Mm -hmm. Man, that's good. Otherwise, you'll spend all your time with your low performers, and you will create a culture of health. You'll create a culture that attracts high-capacity people, and everybody will be better led. That's so good. And if I'm not mistaken, in one of your recent podcasts, I think it was actually on the Ask Carrie uh, Part 1, you talked about how you, you have, is it 20 people total? I know you talked about how you've got your elders, your leadership team, and your, your key leaders. Mm-hmm. It's about tw- 20 people that you're connected with? That may be an exaggeration even. I don't know where I pulled that number out of, but yeah, it's a very small number. I've revised yeah. my theory since this morning. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, we have six elders. Yeah. I have three on my executive team. I have Sarah, my direct report, and then we have leadership team of about seven. What is that? That might be like a dozen or so. Yeah. Like, uh, there was a management study, I can't quote it chapter and verse, I read years ago, that said the average person, this is just in corporate America, the average person, is best when they manage four people. Oh, wow. It's generally true that, that, you know, beyond that, you can maybe sprawl to eight or ten, but you'll start cheating them, and you won't do as good a job. Um, You know, I can care for six elders. I can't care for 60. I can care for four key staff. I can't care for 40. But if I love them well, if I serve them well, if I lead them well, they will lead others well. And then Mm. the whole organization is healthy. So, yeah, and that doesn't mean you should be, you know, the guy behind a, you know, a steel fence and nobody can get in and yeah. all that. It just means you're very focused on your time. So, you know, if you're leading uh, creative ministry, focus on your five best people. Get them to focus on five best people, and, and, and things will be healthier and better. And, and again, you know, don't just focus on skills. Focus on their health. No, how are you doing, really? How is it with your heart? How mm-hmm. is it with your soul? How is it with your life? Because if you have healthy people at the top— you'll have healthy people throughout. If you have dysfunctional, unhealthy people at the top with unresolved issues, that will reverberate, if I can say that word, (laughs) through the whole organization. It just will. 
So I just, I've come to believe that, but I've also seen it work. When I tried to spread myself thin and meet everybody and all, you know, everybody's needs, we were a much less healthy organization. We were far more dysfunctional. I was way more dysfunctional, and as a result, the organization was far more dysfunctional. So I've tried to get healthy, spent a lot of money and time with counselors, you know, looked at just open up my life to, to the work, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. As I've gotten more intentional about my leadership, played favorites, invested heavily in our top leaders, our church has gotten much, much, much healthier. And when I get away from that, it pays a price. Man, this is so good. It, it, I love several things you said there. If you're healthy at the top, you're going to be healthy throughout. Um, and the, I'd never heard that before. The average person is best when they're managing only four people. Um, makes great yeah, I sense. I think I don't have a chapter and verse for that, but I think they're, they're, it, it's a generally accepted axiom in sure. leadership, and I've seen a few studies over the years. I mean, you might be able to stretch that to six or eight. Sure. It's kind of like your small group. You know, If you get more than 12 people in a room, there's always that couple who's invisible, right. but you know my favorite group size is eight to ten people. I think everybody can can actively participate in that group. And then for eldership, I you know we've had as few as three elders and as many as six. I don't want it a whole lot bigger than that. Man, that's good. Next up here is uh, surround high capacity people with high capacity people. Um, and so my question for you here is: Then don't you as a leader? need to be high capacity in order to attract high capacity? Yeah, that's a great question, Jared. I think to some extent that's true, you know, and I I think you can grow. You know, the good news is if you keep your character growing, you can still grow your skill set. You can yep. go to a seminar. You can become a better leader. You can listen to your podcast, right? Like, <laughs> there are ways to become a better leader. Um, I think, though... I mean, John Maxwell has his levels of leadership, and mm-hmm. he says, you know, if you're a nine as a leader, you're probably going to attract sevens. If you're a seven, you're going to attract fives or sixes, and so on. I think that's true to a certain extent, but I think when you're, you know, I have people around me who are just better than me in, in certain areas, and I think part of great leadership is just having the security and the comfort around not always being the smartest guy in the room, not always being the most articulate, not always being the person who has the best ideas. Like if you can, if you can broker that kind of circle, Mm -hmm. you can probably, you know, a lot of guys talk about marrying up. I think you can lead up too. I think you can get some, I think you can lead up that way too. I, I think you can get like, you may maybe don't have an MBA. I certainly don't, you know, you may not, have the marketplace experience of this person that you're looking at for an elder, or you might not have a doctorate in education like somebody in your church does who you want to get into a family ministry role or an education role. But, you know, if you lead them well and you're open and you're transparent, I think they'll join your team. And they're just attracted to to leaders who are open to influence, right? Leaders don't like to be micromanaged. And, mm-hmm. and I think one of the reasons leaders become afraid of having high-capacity people around them is because they're insecure. Mm -hmm. Uh, A second way these things go poorly is when you haven't, back to an earlier point, defined the mission, vision, and strategy. When you haven't defined your strategy, you can get five high-capacity people in the room, but they can all go rogue on you, and they can think they're really helping the organization. But, you know, now I'm running in a very different direction than you are, Jared, as the creative guy. 
um, because I just think, you know, this is the way to go, but you think that is the way to go, but you never told me which way you wanted to go. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not unaligned because I'm disloyal. I'm unaligned because I didn't know. Mm. And the clearer you can be about your strategy, this is how we do music. This is how we do media. This is how we do family. This is how, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The more you can define that, the more high-capacity leaders, number one, will respect that. And number two will go, okay, well, now we can all pull together to try to accomplish this common objective. And, and then when you're really clear on your strategy, when you're really clear on your strategy and everybody kind of buys in, then you don't have to micromanage your high-capacity people because that's another thing high-capacity people hate. I hate being micromanaged. If you're going mm-hmm. to give me a job, give it to me. Right. Clearly define it. Make the task clear. But then, you know, don't be texting me every three minutes to say, oh, can I see it? Oh, that pixel needs to be moved to the left just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like, well, if you're that good, you should do it. Right. That's, that's where I go with that. So high-capacity people don't like to be micromanaged. The reason we micromanage high-capacity people is because we're afraid of them going rogue because we never clearly articulated the strategy. Well, if you have a clearly articulated strategy, you're organized, you're open, and you don't micromanage, all of a sudden you can get a great high-capacity team running around you, Man, even people who are better than you. Yeah. And if you have the personal security to be able to invite people who are better than you into that circle and be okay with them being better than you, then I think you can even have, you know, leaders who are a little bit better than you leading. Absolutely. And I would even throw in on that, that to some degree that security can be faked in that just, even though it makes you a little uncomfortable to just allow Mm -hmm. this person to come in because I, I understand that, especially as a young leader, you want to you want to make a name for yourself. You want to you, you want to make sure that you're leading properly. And if someone else is coming in, and especially as a young leader, you kind of feel like you have to have all the ideas and and that kind of thing. But allowing other people to play to their strengths, because you don't know everything, and you're never going to know everything. So it's great to surround yourself with those people and allow them to do what they do. Um, man, that's so yeah. good. And you've got to be able to check your spirit, too. So I mm. teach about 50 to 60% of the time at our church. And because we're a North Point partner, for the balance of the time, it's Andy Stanley on video. And, you know, it it it, it takes a lot of security to put Andy up on video because <laughs> the guy's pretty good. Right. And I can't tell you the number of times I'm not teaching and I stand in the lobby after the service and somebody comes up to me and says, man, that Andy Stanley, that was the best message I ever heard in my life. (laughs) And I'm like, did you not just hear the series I taught? (laughs) Right? That's what my myself, my insecurity says. Like, I think I was more awesome than that. Or you become very tempted to rip him off and say, I came up with this idea when you didn't. But, you know, it's just, it's. I think that's a spiritual journey. I just had to get to the place where I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to preach everybody's favorite sermon, and that's okay. And Andy Stanley is really good, and God really gifted him, and I have to celebrate that. Mm -hmm. I need to celebrate what God is doing through him and leverage what God is doing through me. And that's a principle I got from, guess who? 
Andy Stanley. So there you go. You just have <laughs> to be circle. comfortable, right? Yeah. And go, I'm not the brightest person in the room. I'm not the best communicator on the planet. I'm not the best writer. I'm not the best thinker. There is nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. I get to play a little role in this thing called the great big kingdom of God. And maybe I should just be grateful for that. I appreciate how open and transparent you are on this and showing the kind of that, that insecurity that can pop up. Um, even like you said, you've been in leadership now in ministry for two decades. Um, and mm-hmm. I just appreciate how open and transparent you are about that. Thank you. Um, well, if I didn't listen, if I didn't wrestle that down, we wouldn't be a strategic partner and I couldn't play Andy because my insecurity wouldn't allow me to do that. Mm-hmm. My ego would get in the way and I would deny people the opportunity to hear perhaps the greatest message God has ever allowed them to hear in their lives. And I have to be okay with the fact that guess what? It didn't come from me because surprise, surprise, Carrie, you are not the kingdom of God. You are part (laughs) of it, but you are not the kingdom. And I think there's something inside all of us as leaders that just, you know, there's enough ego to, to make us want to lead something, Mm -hmm. but that ego has to be submitted to and, 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 um, you know, in submission to the Holy Spirit and to say, okay, God, you know, you're going to use my ambition, but mm-hmm. don't make it selfish ambition and yep. don't make me so selfish. Yep. The very thing that we're gifted with can, can turn and become uh, a weakness if we're, if we're not careful. Uh, man. Yeah, it becomes about us, mm-hmm. not about God, right? right. The, you know, the gift, I always think the gift says more about the giver mm-hmm. than it does about the recipient. So if I'm decent at communicating, if I can write, if I can, you know, interview people in a way that helps people on podcasts, then that's great. But, you know, the glory does need to go back to God. It Absolutely. Really Absolutely. Uh, and then lastly here, the seventh, the seventh thing in leading high-capacity volunteers um, is pay them in non-financial currencies. Mm-hmm. This is really interesting. I, I had a, a team member with me that uh, we do an unpaid internship in the kids' ministry here at Church on the Move, and one of my team members was wanting to find a way to pay them, that if they're going to give up all this time, that we need to pay them. And so this is kind of a journey I had to walk him through, was value is not always created just with money. Value can yeah. be any any sort of things. So any sort of thing that, that you're you're providing value. So for you, Carrie, what are what are some really practical ideas for some non financial currencies to show that appreciation and for it to be the two way street? For it's not just you're here volunteering serving the church, but we're also serving you. Yeah, I think I think yeah, non financial currency. We're all tempted to do what your friend is tempted to do, which is just like pay everybody for everything. And I mean, that's the way I want to be. I don't, I don't like to, like even at my house, if you come and sharpen my lawnmower blade, which I have no idea how to do, I don't, you know, I don't know whether it's pride or what it is, but like, I want to pay you something to do that. I just, I have a hard time receiving a gift. And I think, I think that's true for a lot of us in leadership. And then there's that feeling of guilt, right? Well, what if you saw serving as an opportunity? And here's here's the practical reality. I don't care whether your church, like, you know, we'll, we'll see about $1.8 million this year at Conexus, mm-hmm. which is a ton of money. Mm-hmm. 
But you divide that among 500 volunteers, and you know you're paying 42 cents an hour if you try to pay them all. <laughs> like it's just it's non-meaningful. You're going to shrink your ministry, right? Yeah. And that's a, a lot of churches get into that. You know, they're like 500 people and 26 staff. Well, why? You don't need that many staff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because you didn't have the courage to ask them to lead. That's mm. why. So I think, and, and I mean, again, studies in, in business and the marketplace have shown that I think these days the figure is about $75,000 a year. Like, people do have basic needs. i got to buy groceries. My car has to run. I need, you know, to live indoors with hopefully some plumbing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's definitely um, a level at which everybody needs to make some money. But about 70, at about the income level of $75,000 a year for someone's salary, money stops being a primary motivator. Mm-hmm. It's not that people don't want to make $100,000 a year, you know, a lot more than that. It's just that it doesn't drive me mm-hmm. as much as it used to if you're making that amount or, or above. This is what people see. Yeah. And, and you know, there, there are, I'm sure, a lot of listeners have turned down a higher-paying job to do one that they felt more passionately about. You know, money isn't everything. It's something, but it's not everything. It's it's a tool. And so we fall in the trap in the church of just thinking, you know, well, we got to pay everybody to do something because somehow we feel guilty about it. Well, I think there's non-financial currencies. Obviously, one of them is gratitude. Gratitude mm-hmm. begets generosity. I learned that from Andy as well, Andy Stanley. But, you know, when you're grateful, it's not a sense of duty. It's not a you owe me. You know, we've all worked for people like that. We don't want to keep working for them. But when people are genuinely grateful, when they're thankful, when there's some reciprocity, that helps. But then there are other things, the list that we've gone through already. For example, being organized, that is a non-financial currency. Mm -hmm. When your volunteer shows up and the stuff that is supposed to be cared for is cared for and you respect their time that way, that is a non-financial currency. Um, When you listen, when you listen, Right. Instead of just barking out orders, yeah. your volunteer wants to be heard, wants to, every leader wants to be heard. You don't want to sit through a two hour board meeting and have the chair ignore you. Mm-hmm. you. You want to be heard and you don't want to dominate the meeting. It's just like, do you really care about what I'm saying or did I just waste two hours of my life? Right. So you want to be heard. So you want to listen. You want to show empathy. You want to be organized. High commitment, high challenge, crystal clear vision. Everybody wants to be part of a winning team, yep. right? So if you can lead a winning team, if you can help, and, and by that, I, I don't mean that in a superficial way, but I mean by really advancing your mission, man, people want to give their lives to that. We, we have also taken the step of not just defining our strategy, but defining our culture. And so we have six cultural values. And when we rolled those out to some of our key volunteers, they, were, they said, man, I wish I worked here. And wow. I think one of the reasons they volunteer so much is because they, they're they just like, my workplace isn't this well-organized. Um, we're not serving a greater cause. We're just trying to make widgets and dollars, and it's disorganized, and people don't get along, and it's not healthy at the top. Hmm. Like I think those are very, very motivating non-financial currencies. And, and so you, you have to, you know, handwritten thank you cards are a great thing. But when you run a very well-led organization, a very well-administered organization or church, um, high-capacity leaders are attracted to that. And when you respect them and honor them and give them a high level of challenge, man, your high-capacity people will step up. That's so good. That's so good. Because they wish it was that good in the marketplace. Right. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it is. And I think that's one of the reasons 
so many leaders are actually in the marketplace today when they should be in ministry is because it's just better led than the church. Well, mm-hmm. if the church got better led, I think that would be a very, very different story. That's really good. Well, Carrie, if you could leave us with a thought on uh, leading volunteers here. I know we've gone through several here, but just for the, the person out there listening, what's, what's something they should be doing right now? What's something they should change about the way they're leading their, their, lead, their leaders, their volunteers right now? What's, a, what's a, a parting thought you can leave us with? I would say, you know, if, if there's one thing, it would just be raise the level of challenge. You, you have got the biggest mission in the world. Stop apologizing for it. Stop, stop pretending that people are doing you a favor. I mean, they're using their God-given gifts to honor their Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. And, and lead your church with such diligence that the highest capacity people are lining up to serve. So I just think raise that level of challenge, raise that level of mission, and, and that is a great place to start. There you have it, folks. Raise the challenge. Raise, create a significant challenge. I love what you said there. Stop apologizing. We have the greatest mission yeah. in all of the world. Uh, we have what can truly change people's lives. Stop apologizing for this. That's Oh, man, that's so good. Uh, well, Carrie, if people want to get in touch with you, I know there's several ways. What, what do you, where do you communicate the most? What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Probably just the blog and the podcast. You can find both off com, and uh, I don't know if you have show notes or not, but it's just C-A-R-E-Y-N-I-E-U-W-H-O-F. I know that's so easy to remember. <laughs> um, com, uh, And then you can search iTunes for the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. And then if you're interested in the new book, it is uh, obviously on those channels, but also at Lasting Impact Book. Dot com. You can get all the details there. Make sure to go pick it up, folks. I promise it'll be worth your time. I haven't read it yet, but I already know that it's going to be worth your time to read this book. Um, so, Carrie, once again, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, it was truly a pleasure. Thanks for doing what you do, Jared. Appreciate you. Carrie, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. If you're listening, man, I, just an incredible interview, such good information. Um, and folks, just so you know, next week, we're actually going to be dropping a bonus episode with Carrie. Uh, we love asking all of our guests about how they manage their time and how they stay refreshed. And he actually had so much good to say about these topics uh, that, that we're going to be releasing a bonus episode next week. So keep your eyes out for it. Yeah, and it's so important because if, if you can't manage your time well, you can't do anything well. And that's true. If you're just watching Netflix and, uh, you know, all day long and sleeping in and not doing anything, you're not going to do anything. That's very true. That's if you're not doing right anything, there. you're not doing anything. That, tweet that, folks. You're if welcome. you're not doing anything, you're not going to do anything. Hey, also, if you got anything out of this, this podcast while you're listening to it, if you could do us a, a huge favor and subscribe, hit that subscribe button, and also drop us a review on iTunes. Uh, just go on there, make a little nickname, and just put a little review. Two thumbs up, two thumbs down. If you liked it, if you didn't, just get on there and do, do us that favor. That would be awesome. Thank you all for joining us today. We will see you next week. Peace.